0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Scopophilia, the podcast. We are the millennial movie movement. And I, of course, am your host, Becky Teller, here to lead the movement into the future, bringing you a new movie every week. Now, I know last week on the show, I was talking about how, one, this season has been fun because it's filled with movies I haven't seen before. And, Also, it's filled with old school films and classic films and historically important films. And we're going to forget about all of that (laughs) for a hot second. Uh, Because this week, we're going to go with a classic, no doubt about it, iconic, no doubt about it, um, but something a little more spooky, spooky for February. We love that. It's ending February With a spooky movie that I think we can all agree we love. And that is Beetlejuice. That is right. We are talking about Beetlejuice. Iconic goth film. It's, you know, inspiring a generation of girls to dye their hair black and be Winona Ryder and just overall amazing. My guest this week is Morgana Ignis, puppeteer voice actor, beautiful human uh who came on the show to talk about this film and it was a delightful conversation. I mean, there's so much to love about this film. It's it has a little stop motion, it has visual effects, um prosthetic makeup, uh amazing actors who you forget are in this film who have iconic careers now and I mean, I could just go on and on and on and on and on about this film, but I'll just let you listen to the interview yourself. So without further ado, my interview with Morgana Ignis about her favorite film, Beetlejuice. Enjoy! Scopophilia is the newest thing to hit the market. Defined as deriving aesthetic pleasure from looking at something, it's the new craze sweeping the nation. Taken in large doses... Side effects can include an addictive nature to have more film content. If this increase occurs, consult no one and keep listening. And welcome back to another episode of Scopophilia, the podcast. And today we have a very special guest with us, Morgana Ignis, uh, full of mystery and wonder uh, in her name. And for those of us, uh, first of all, how are you? How are you doing?
1: I'm, I'm doing great. Well, I don't know. I, it feels terrible to say that I'm doing great at any point in the last 12 <laughs> months, but I'm doing well considering.
0: Well, that's all we can hope for, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. A a lot better, you know. I'm I'm doing doing well given the whole apocalyptic situation we all find ourselves in.
0: Absolutely. Other than that, just peachy. Hundred (laughs) percent. It's good to find uh, little things to be happy about. I think nowadays is is what I've been saying.
1: (laughs) One hundred percent.
0: And so I stumbled upon your work. And so for those of us who aren't familiar with your work, tell us a little bit about what you do.
1: Of course. Um, so I'm a character actress who's found her way into playing a lot of sort of unconventional sort of uh, sort of characters over the years. Um, I've played a lot of uh, inhuman characters under prosthetics, monsters, creatures, demons, that sort of thing. Um, I've channeled my performance through everything from prosthetic makeup, big creature suits, to uh, currently doing stuff with puppetry with the Jim Henson Company uh a lot of stuff blending sci-fi and horror with comedy so i was in the show stand against evil for 3 seasons my, show, my current show is earth to net on disney plus and i've started a bunch of you know different other horror projects uh, that you might have seen on sci-fi so a I lot mean, of blood a say- lot of blood and carnage in my repertoire
0: <laughs> we laugh and, that and
1: laughs and comedy <laughs> because you can't spell slaughter without laughter
0: of course <laughs> <laughs> well, and I I stumbled upon your work um, because I was a fan of um, Christine McConnell's show on Netflix and because you were in that as Edgar, correct?
1: Yeah, I was I was uh, the one inside the suit as Edgar. Right. So basically like wearing <laughs> a big furry couch for uh, for for a <laughs> few months shooting that show. but it was an absolute blast. Um, I, I made so many amazing friends on that who I continue to work with, including Christine, who's just one of the most wonderful, magical people I've ever had the privilege of meeting. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it's it's you know, I'm staring at the poster for the show fondly on my wall right now.
0: <laughs> That's wonderful. And so I found you, I reached out, I said, would you like to come on the show? you gracious enough to say yes. And I asked, you know, what movie is like your favorite or what you want to talk about? And you picked Beetlejuice. And I was super excited about it.
1: (laughs) I I figured that might, if if no one's done it yet, I figured you'd probably be into doing that one because, you know, as I just said, you know, I'm staring at like the Christine McConnell poster next to a bunch of other posters in my Mm -hmm. narcissistic kingdom that is my (laughs) one bedroom apartment. Um, But the only poster on the wall that isn't connected to something I've done is Beetlejuice, which I think I've had this poster since I was 15 or 16 years old.
0: I love that, and I mean, it kind of came as a shock to me that like nobody had picked the movie yet. And so when you said it, I was like, oh, thank goodness, like someone's doing Beetlejuice. Thank God.
1: <laughs> I feel I feel like a lot. You know, a lot of people when they get asked the question, they want to pick something that makes them feel like you know they're they're a they're a master's degree film school recipient yes. who has talked about something that's been nominated for an Oscar. You know, some you know some some fine Kubrick film or what have you, which I also love, but. There's there's such a beautiful uniqueness to Beetlejuice that after seeing it probably over a hundred times, I'm still not sick of this bizarre, pure, chaotic, good (laughs) movie. Like it's it's just every time I see it, I notice new things in it and notice you know just marvel at the brilliant, unbelievable chaos that this movie
0: is. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Took the words out of my mouth. And I say that all the time. I think people have the, the knee jerk reaction of, oh, I'm going to be talking about a movie. It better be intellectual. And I mean, I think even though this movie is chaotic and kind of silly and um, it almost borders on like feeling like a a B movie or something, but it is kind of intellectual too. Cause like I turned on my critical eye when I was watching it this time and, you know, also, having seen it, you know, hundred times or so, and I'm like, again, I'm still seeing new things in it, which is so funny for a movie from 1988 that I've seen a hundred times.
1: I mean, it is. I, I would say it's it's a very definitively punk movie because oh, it, you know, as far as filmmaking goes, screenwriting goes, acting goes, casting goes, like all these things, it breaks so many rules. It is. It is pretty much. Piqued Tim Burton at the time that he absolutely did not care about any corporate feedback to what he would do with a movie. He was, right. he was just coming off of Pee Wee being a success, people really liking his his style of how he did things, and this is him having complete free reign. This is him basically almost like his, his the first ideas that he has, you know, that comes to head in his his head, his first concepts. He just um, you know just. It's going in there. It's it's being tossed into the movie, and that's why there are so many iconic visual moments in the film that that we just remember, and they don't even necessarily go together. That's the other thing. Like a lot of them, you know, they just seem like this very bizarre mesh of so many different random chaotic ideas that this 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 guy had. Um, But that's that's why I love it. Is because you know, comparing it to other films, it it does break so many rules that other people who want to think of themselves in like this higher academic level would be like, oh, you can't do that for a film. That doesn't work for this kind of film. And if it was anything else, I think if it was made by anybody else, it would be a very cliche sort of 80s spooky film.
0: Agreed. I mean, and when I was doing some research, there was some uh, like Wes Craven apparently was a first choice for director, and it's like that would have been a different movie than what we have.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it 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 really was. Um, you know, there there was someone else who wrote the script for it, but as far as the vision for the film, it couldn't have. it, It would never have come out this way if it was done by anybody else. People wouldn't have known how to blend the sort of campy horror aspects with the strange sense of humor he has. Um, the, the visual aspect is so unique to his style. I, I couldn't see it being done by anybody else.
0: And I mean, now you look at it and it's the style used in this film. Like It's the Tim Burton style now. It's become iconic,
1: right? It has. He, he's, he, that, I think that's, because doing Pee-Wee's Big Adventure... You know, he definitely added his own thing to it, but so many of that was Paul Rubens. Mm-hmm. So many of that mm-hmm. was already kind of established on Pee Wee's Playhouse It already kind of, you know, he added his stuff into the mix, but Paul Rubens was definitely the creative force behind that. This was the beginning of what would be the Tim Burton style that not only he would continue to use throughout his career, but so many other people would be inspired by and to create stuff off of you know there there's a reason that you can still walk into any hot topic and there's still <laughs> new beetlejuice merchandise
0: absolutely well and just this past halloween they had uh like a whole beetlejuice line it's spirit halloween because of course i went there uh all of october and <laughs> november 1st to pick it up
1: <laughs> of course of course um, my, my close friend um, who runs uh, for Designs, this, is this wonderful clothing company, uh, I modeled for her recently a bunch of her new designs. And one of the things she put out, which I had to have immediately, was she had created um, Lydia's spiderweb poncho from the Beetlejuice ah. animated series, which is so warm and so comfortable. And I've literally wanted since I was like four. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is another bizarre thing. It was very bizarre that this extremely, like very inappropriate for children when you look at it film, because it really is about this old perverted ghost trying to (laughs) marry this young, confused teenage daughter. Um, But uh, it, it spawned a cartoon that I think I kind of watched the cartoon before I watched the movie that I watched when I was a child. It was on Nickelodeon. Right. And it was such a weird thing. It would be like if they made like a pulp fiction for kids animated series, you know, really bizarre that they kind of released right around the same time and glommed onto it. And then any kid watches it and it's like, oh, they're not friends. He's an old pervert who's trying to get in her pants. And there's like all this, like, all this crude sex humor throughout the whole thing. So I, I do remember being obsessed with the cartoon version when I was a kid and even before I was obsessed with the movie.
0: Well, so then, let me ask you: What would you say is like kind of the shortest synopsis you would give about Beetlejuice?
1: Um, it's it's basically a fight between the living and the dead when this sort of uh, bougie family moves in from the city, moves to the suburbs, um, moves into this uh, house that is haunted by its previous occupants. So it's a war between the two of them, between the living and the dead, in which the previous occupants accidentally hire a poltergeist to bring into the situation who takes it far off the rails.
0: Beautiful. Spot on. That was a
1: terrible <laughs> synopsis. I shouldn't write synopsis. That's awful. No.
0: <laughs> no, I think it was so
1: good. So beautifully eloquent and streamlined.
0: <laughs> you came prepared with that, didn't you? You knew oh, I was Oh, yeah, I have ask. it written right <laughs> on my
1: palm right here. It's very sweaty, so I'm assuming that's what I wrote, but something... <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I mean I think that's true. I I think a a good description is like there's a fight between this new living family and then this couple who they just want to live in their home by themselves. They don't really want to deal with the new couple. And then this family comes in and they're like I'm going to rip the house apart and this that and the other and you know we're going to do whatever we want and they're like no, please don't and, do and, that. And it's a
1: it's a hysterical perspective too because Let's face it. Like the heroes of the Maitlands, of course. You know the heroes are Mm -hmm. uh, Alec, you know Alec Baldwin, Catherine O'Hara, but they're not the ones that the core audience would usually go for. I mean, Mm -hmm. the the goth idol of uh, of of (laughs) the movie is 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 Catherine O'Hara. You mean
0: Winona Ryder?
1: Well, yeah, Winona Ryder is, like, their daughter. That's the one you want, you know, uh, Winona yes. Ryder. And yes. the, the couple that they're fighting against. Obviously, Winona Ryder in that film is is absolutely... I mean, she inspired an entire generation with the style that she she had inhabited. Absolutely. Like, there are still young kids today who are mimicking the style that Winona created in that and sorry I said Mm -hmm. I said Catherine O'Hara is the maintenance Gina Davis obviously Alec Baldwin Gina Davis is the (laughs) maintenance um but you know uh, Tim Burton directing this and making the Maitlands the good guys when they're sort of like the normal white bread rural couple and then in come the goths (laughs) <laughs> Income like the city goths that like with their like bizarre dark style and extreme artist mother and small gothy daughter. Um, it, it's an interesting kind of direction to go in for somebody who's clearly way more like the Dietzes than the Maitlands mm. to uh, to to be directing the film in that way. But I think it it, it turned out well. It turned out well because the the uh, the Dietzes become these lovable villains. Yeah, like technically they technically they're the you know they're the the bad guys in the film that are that they're fighting against, even though there's you know the compromise at the end, mm-hmm. but they turn into these really fun sort of counter counter villain to to the main characters in the film.
0: Absolutely. Well, and it, it's so funny. The Dietzes themselves are just kind of hilarious from the get go because. What an art goth move to be like, oh, we have ghosts in our house. We can like make a whole exhibit of it and we can get people to come and like it'll be an amusement park. And it's just like out of this world where the normal reaction would be, oh, maybe we shouldn't live here because there's ghosts. (laughs) That would be a selling
1: point to me. That's the 100%. problem is like, like if, if I, if I came up on Zillow and the house I was looking at also like may include ghosts, I'm, I'm <laughs> scheduling a showing immediately to go see this haunted house. Like that's all I would ever want. Absolutely. Um, you know, the Maitlands aren't too bad. I think, I think Beetlejuice is definitely more of like somebody you, you know, you might hang out with, but I don't think you'd want to live with them.
0: Right. Yeah. A little, maybe a little too extreme. He's a little, he's a
1: bit much. A fun party friend, but not a good roommate.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and so it's interesting, Beetlejuice as a character is, you know, kind of a perv, stuck in, like, a weird limbo type thing, just trying to find places to, like, be. But he's only in, like, 20 minutes of the film. Like, he's the title character, and... Not that he isn't important, but like very. No,
1: but he 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 steals the show because every every scene with Michael Keaton is a showstopper. You know, at at that Mm -hmm. time before um, you know, before he was kind of more known for doing Batman and films like that, he was like a go to comedy guy at the time. Um the original idea, which is very bizarre because uh the, the the role wasn't originally written for Michael Keaton. Uh, Tim Burton wrote it with Sammy Davis Jr. in mind. Right. That was that was like when he was right when he was thinking about Beetlejuice and planning these stages. He was thinking Sammy Davis Jr., which is just again going you know, thinking about that you know what that movie would have been in if you know the Sammy right. Davis Jr. was a <laughs> living actor at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the 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 character the the amazing comedic character actor that Michael Keaton is you could have him on for four seconds and make an iconic moment out of that. And and it's it's so clear that so much of the performance came from him.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I saw online that it and granted, I don't know if this is true, but it says like 90% of the lines were like improved by Keaton. He was just like going for it. And it's like, part of me believes that and like part of me doesn't. And I don't know which side I want to believe more.
1: <laughs> the the other thing is, is it's, it's just about selling it. You know, the, yeah. the line is one thing, but he he's so good at physical comedy and yeah. affecting his voice and developing the voice that he used for Beetlejuice that I, just, just in the same way that I couldn't imagine the film selling as well with anyone else at the helm directing, the character wouldn't have been the same with any other actor dropping their ingredient into it. It, it it was it was such a unique thing to Michael Keaton's sort of comedic sense to to add that to Beetlejuice
0: absolutely even other um, great
1: comedic actors you know, or like physical actors who I love right. like you know wouldn't have, it would not have been the same if it was say Jim Carrey doing it you know it right. would, so so nope. yeah I mean I, I if they do you know they can never do another one unless it's Michael Keaton in that role
0: Right. Well, and it's so interesting now that you know. Of course, there's Beetlejuice on Broadway. You know, at some point, Broadway will come back. <laughs>
1: but, I miss it a lot because I was really hoping that I was. I was so excited about Beetlejuice coming to this side to mm-hmm. to you know to because I'm I'm in Los Angeles, so I've been waiting for it to like be at the Pantages. Mm-hmm. Um. So hopefully, one day, one day yeah. when we can actually go out and do things right. again.
0: <laughs> exactly
1: but I kind of feel you know I, I identify with the film as well because you know the Maitlands are trapped in their house mm-hmm. it's you know you try to walk outside and there's danger so right. they're you know they're trapped <laughs> in their house and not only that but it's like it's one thing if they're just like on a permanent staycation but then somebody comes in and like takes that away from them it's like right. all they have all these people who are from a big city you know coming in, they're, they're taking over the only thing this couple has, which is, like, their home. So you yeah. take that away, what else are they going to do? They're just trapped in this weird house that they don't recognize.
0: Right. Well, and living with a family who basically just wants to rip everything that they really like about their house out.
1: <laughs> yeah, completely. I mean, they're, they're very, very self-absorbed, like, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: everyone but Lydia. And, and Lydia is suffering from, a, you know, the same sort of self-absorption that the Dietzes are, you know, presenting. Like, you know, she was, she was clearly talking about, it's like, you know, she had her life in the city. You know, she was still sort of moody and unhappy there, but they picked her up and dragged her to another environment that was completely foreign to her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they, they don't notice her through most of the film. They're not really listening to her. So... It's kind of an adorable thing that she ends up identifying and, you know, kind of getting this nurturing quality from these two sort of suburban, the this, this suburban couple who didn't have a child. Um, when, you know, her own parents who seem, at least on the sort of aesthetic sense, to have more in common with her, didn't really give her that sort of nurturing quality that she's now getting from the Maitlands. We even yeah. see at the end of the film when, when everything is resolved. Spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Beetlejuice. <laughs> but if you're listening this and haven't seen Beetlejuice, I don't know what's wrong with you.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, yeah, you should go away. Go watch Beetlejuice <laughs> and come back. Um, but at the end of the film, you, you can even tell it's like they're parenting her at this point. Like the Dietz's well, are yeah. still there. They're living together. But the par- like Lydia's parents are the Maitlands. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's that kind of beautiful thing going on. Um, Absolutely. But it added so much to her character, you know. Just going back to just like gushing over every moment with Winona Ryder, mm-hmm. you know. She she's she's defined. She's she's really defined like a goth aesthetic for like young you know young teens for generations now. Mm-hmm. Like it's just going to keep on going. I, I I love the fact that this is something I grew up with, and I'm now seeing like Gen Z kids <laughs> with Lydia Deetz shirts on like just fully loving and embracing it um you know which is interesting like when I was a kid there weren't a lot of people who were like much older than me who we shared that quality with mm-hmm. but you know there's something about a lot of this stuff that was created in like you know very early 90s onward that's still resonating with people and Absolutely. I think what Winona writer as Lydia Deetz is is probably she's probably going to remain one of the most iconic characters of that style and of that genre.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I think she, because you kind of have brain, um, (laughs) let me get my brain together, because you kind of have like the Mount Rushmore of spooky ladies, which is like Morticia Adams, uh, Lily Munster, Elvira, um, Vampira. Like those are kind of like the spooky women, I think. And then you also have like this other, subsection of, like, spooky teens. Yeah, which which is, like, her and,
1: you know, at the same time, it's, like, you know, Winona Ryder and Christina Ricci were, like, making both Wednesday Adams and Lydia Dietz famous, so.
0: Iconic.
1: The style, and I'm still guilty of it. A lot of my clothing is still very reminiscent of, (laughs) you know, the stuff that I wanted to wear that Lydia wore. So my Mm -hmm. closet's still very, very Lydia Deets-esque. Love that. You know, but, and, and also like, you know, the, the costume designer who just dressed her the entire time, her whole look, their pallor of makeup, her perfect little spiked bangs yeah. with her, her <laughs> giant hat. You know, I, 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 I was so proud that like one year when I was, before I just had acting as a full-time job, I went to a company, um, Halloween, you know, Halloween day, it was at a, at a makeup school. Mm-hmm. and came as Lydia Dietz because one of my jobs actually was like taking photos of the work of the students. So, you know, had had my camera ready, had the huge Lydia hat, bangs done, power, like Aww. the whole thing done. And I ended up on one of BuzzFeed's lists for like best Lydia Dietz costumes. And <laughs> it may be like, even with all the other shit that I've done, that may be one of my proudest moments. I'm not even going to lie.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Well, and I love that. It's so funny because. I always say, cause I've had a lot of like quote unquote office jobs and I mm-hmm. always, every year for Halloween, I always want to go as miss Venezuela oh, yeah. because she's a receptionist and it's like, so minimal but i'm like mm, maybe not appropriate for my office job
1: <laughs> the whole the whole purgatory thing like she's that alone that character alone she she stands up stands out so much in that crowd because everything around her is very gruesome and gory people burnt mm-hmm. to a crisp the shrunken heads the people shot in half then you get to her and she's so beautiful you can't yeah. even immediately tell, like, everyone else kind of has this gory aesthetic to how they died. And then mm-hmm. you just see her and you're like, oh, she's just stunning. I think, I think she, uh, she suffocated or something. I'm not sure. I'm trying to figure. I, there is a reason she's blue. Um, right. It's like this over-the-top thing. But she has, like, she has the perfect, like, blue skin with, like, this red sparkle eyeshadow and that accent and
0: yeah.
1: everything. He tried to fit so much into that scene. I, I love even when um, the Maitlands are with Juno in her office. Yes. Like out the window, there's just like a random guy in 3D glasses sitting next to a plastic skeleton for no reason, right. like just staring at absolutely nothing. It's just like he just thought it's like oh we need more people to fill this space here. I'll we'll we'll, we'll paint you with this like <laughs> reflective paint and stick you next to this orange glow in the dark skeleton, and that was that was their shot, right? Um, <laughs> you know it it it's it's still fun to go through that and. It's so a set that I wish I could walk on to.
0: Oh my gosh. That whole afterlife, like waiting room, hallway, office, like that, just that whole set is so like, it's iconic Tim Burtony, it's German expressionist, it's just fun, fun housey. Like,
1: it's also just just like the the entire thing is one weird joke, too, because. uh, later on in the film, like the joke is made that if you commit suicide, you become a public servant. A civil servant, <laughs> yeah, a civil servant. It's like this this weird, this weird thing that's just like was that the entire reason for that scene was so you can tell the this one suicide <laughs> joke like a half hour later.
0: Well, and I love that because it's Otho says it, and then you have Miss Venezuela who she cuts her wrists. Mm, and oh, then that's you right. Have, yeah,
1: it was blood loss. That's why she. Yeah. was broke.
0: And so you have her and it's like, it's kind of like a joke, like, oh, how do you think I got here or something like that? And then but you also have the guy who like is flat as a pancake and it's like, okay, did he run into traffic? Is that like was that his suicide? And I'm things? I'm gonna
1: I'm gonna guess as much because they're cause he's he's being sent around on like right. the conveyor belt, like at a uh, at a laundromat, and you see other people who are hanging by nooses.
0: Right. So
1: these people hanging by nooses are literally on this conveyor belt of laundry, like passing passing papers around which is very dark like for some reason one of the most disturbing things is just some random person hanging on a noose swinging around you know
0: right and then you get to Juno who she's got that huge gash on her neck and I remember watching it like the first couple times being like oh I bet like maybe she got in with the wrong people and they murdered her but with the logic of if you commit suicide you become a civil servant that means she did it to herself
1: (laughs) well you know what i think what i think it actually was which i think is is kind of brilliant if you went through this Mm -hmm. they considered uh smoking to be suicide
0: because basically
1: like it's kind of it kind of feels like especially with the slip you know the slit in her throat and everything (laughs) like that i'm not sure if it was like i don't know that was like maybe she died of surgery or something but they make a Mm. big deal out of like her appearance having to do with smoking because there's that Mm -hmm. beautiful practical effects gag of when she smokes the smoke comes out of her neck yeah (laughs) which I also didn't realize like (laughs) until someone pointed it out to me but the same actress who plays um plays Juno was also the grandmother in Mars attacks and I didn't realize this until like it was pointed out to me
0: oh my gosh yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I, I, I'm like, I knew I recognized her from something else. But yeah, Tim Burton ended up using that same actress later on for her like last role as oh. the grandmother who was like listening to like the bad yodeling music. She's great. Yeah. I loved her performance in that.
0: Absolutely. Well, Just like, and I, I was watching it the, um yesterday or no, the other day. Time is meaningless. It's fine.
1: There's, there's <laughs> no such thing as time. No such thing right. as dates. It is, as far as I'm concerned, it is currently February 302nd 22nd Right. So <laughs> I refuse to believe that it's even past 2020.
0: No, exactly. <laughs> I was, so I was watching it and like even her interaction with like the football team, which I don't know why it, Totally left my mind that the football team was like a recurring joke in the movie, but I was Are like because
1: oh they, they're li- cause they're like a lost and they can't yeah. figure yeah they can figure it out they you know <laughs> it, it's just these weird things that he drew, you know, and <laughs> i I'm looking at the poster right now, and it it's you can always tell when a poster was created by somebody who doesn't know what the film is about because <laughs> I think I lost you. Can you still hear me? There we no, go. No, I'm
0: still here. I'm still here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my my headphones are going out. Oh, no. um, but yeah, the the it it very much feels like a uh, a poster that was designed by a committee that hadn't read the scripts. Mm.
0: Um,
1: because I I think like originally they were going to call the film house ghosts i think that was like their their original idea for it who just did not understand the style at all yeah and i think the tagline is something really generic like if you've seen one ghost you haven't seen them all like it's about the like the movie's (laughs) about just a house that has a bunch of ghosts in it right it's like here's a bunch of concept art here's a bunch of like production stills just draw like all these ghosts just hanging out at the house
0: right (laughs) Well, so then, let me so, ask you. Here no, one
1: go ahead. Second. i was trying to adjust my crappy headphones here. There we go. <laughs> You're fine. Um. So so yeah. I mean the, the all of these are mostly like the, these wonderful sketches that he came up with first. I honestly feel like he was just sketching out random ghost ideas that he eventually just felt like incorporating in some way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's it's definitely from his mind, I think, like, the whole time. You never feel like, because even though you bounce between these two worlds of, like, the living world at the Maitland's house and this kind of afterlife waiting room world, you still feel like you're still in the same world, if that makes sense.
1: (laughs) Well, his his suburbia is so unique to him. And it's it's Mm -hmm. really funny because I live in Burbank, and Mm -hmm. that's where Tim Burton grew up. But... When he grew up here, it was very different. If you if you've seen Frank and Weenie, mm-hmm. um, Frank and Weenie's location is Burbank. When he lived here, it's it's okay. very very suburban, very boring, milk toast, you know, suburbia. But it has been it, it's essentially been taken over by the Deitzes. Because this is where all the animators live. This is where all the creatives live. <laughs> They're on Magnolia Boulevard. There's at least three year-round Halloween stores that are just there. Um, vintage, yeah, vintage fashions <laughs> everywhere. So essentially, you know, he he kind of he kind of morphed it in a way because so much of his suburban nightmare is reflected in in his films. You know, in in Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands. Um, mm-hmm he wrote what he knew when he was growing up which was being the weird one in suburbia. He was he was Lydia, he was Edward Scissorhands. Um but it's now so him. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the entire city is so much more like purely him
0: now. Well, that's first of all, it it's kind of fun to like think that of like the thing like the neighborhood that you used to be like oh, I'm the odd one you know, nobody gets me. And like, now it's kind of evolving of like, no, we get you now. Like, we want to be more a- like you.
1: <laughs> oh, that's, that's totally why I identified so much of it when I was a kid. Um, you know, anyone who feels like an outsider in some way kind of is going to reflect that. And for me, you know, I was, I was dealing with being really young and being like a young transgender five-year-old you know kind of going through mm-hmm. the stuff in my mind and identifying with characters that I saw on screen and I think one of one of the earliest characters I actually identified with was Lydia. That was that was like one of the first characters that kind of made me realize that that is that's that's a character I identify with more, you know, cuz she, yeah. she just you know, she was I identified with her being an outsider more than anybody else. And Became a young goth child, basically.
0: Right. <laughs> As we all <laughs> became did. <laughs> this,
1: became this very young, closeted goth child who only got to, like, dress like, you know, become Lydia, like, 20 years later.
0: Right. <laughs> well, so then let me was, ask you, is there, like, a... what? What would you say is your favorite part of this movie?
1: I think, I mean...
0: I know it's a hard point.
1: It's so hard. Like like Michael all of Michael Keaton's comedy moments are are very iconic. You know, we mm-hmm. you know we would, you know, we me and my friends throw lines to each other all the time. Um Lydia's, you know, my whole my you know my whole life is a dark room, one yeah. big dark room. Um <laughs> you know That comes up more than it should in conversations, (laughs) (laughs) which I should probably talk to my therapist about why that continues to be so funny to me. (laughs) Um, But also just random lines like Beetlejuice, like going nice fucking model before he like grabs his junk. You know, (laughs) there's, there's, there's just all these, all these different moments. Um, Obviously, like the musical, the Calypso musical number.
0: I saw some ghosts. (laughs) It's a little
1: private joke that Lydia and I share It's not a joke Yes, it is Just today, uh, just today
0: she tried to convince me that this house is haunted (laughs) Kids! (laughs) You know, I love them
1: By ghosts?
0: In designer sheets, no less I'd like to propose a toast to our intrepid friends Who braved the Cross Bronx Expressway And two dozen toll booths to be with us here this evening May your buildings go condo now, Lydia, favor us about your
1: ghosts. No. I am sick of that subject. Oh, dear, you lighten up. I would rather talk about. There!
0: They like Also
1: are you doing Work this
0: all night and a drink of rum come and
1: me Of course yes incredible it's it's still you know amazing to watch that and just watch the chaos that ensues from that you know again Mm -hmm. Catherine O'Hara is also an amazing physical character actress so she sells every moment of that um but you know just just kind of being in Lydia's shoes you know identifying with that character and experiencing this weird situation with her and empathizing with her, and kind of feeling like that outsider mentality kind of eventually finds her place in the end,
0: yeah um,
1: you know it's 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 a it's a it's a really beautiful sort of arc for her to finally get to where she is at the end because she stopped, you know. She doesn't lose her style. It's not the sort of thing where like an awful breakfast club ending where it's just like, oh, we'll make the goth girl happy by like taking all of her alternative interesting and qualities away right. from her. <laughs> and he's just, you know, she's, she, she goes from at the very beginning of the film, not having anybody understand her and not having any sort of real nurturing quality around her to going through all of this with the Maitlands to thinking that she basically wants death. You know it's it's kind of the, the truth is is that she thinks she wants to, you know, kind of die and go to the you know, go to the other side. because She's not appreciating her life. She's not appreciating where she is. So watching her get to the end where she's happy, she's smiling, she's in school and she gets to come home to the Maitlands and sort of like be adjusted is is a is a really nice character arc
0: absolutely. Well, and you get the feeling at the end that like everybody's kind of gotten what they wanted because you have the Maitlands who like turn their house back excuse me, to the way that they had wanted it um, like in their staycation um, world before everything happened. And then you have Lydia who's like found like a nurturing family environment, which I think she kind of won from the get-go. And then you have the Dietzes who... You have Charles, who's like, ah, oh, yes, I'm finally relaxing in the country. And then you have Delia, who's like, I found something to sculpt about, and it's gonna, you know, yeah, make she's happy. Yeah,
1: she finds an artistic outlet. <laughs> you know, that's, it wasn't quite what they expected it to be, but... It's still like a, a creative outlet for, for Delia to, yeah. pour herself into. <laughs> and it kind of seems like it kind of seems like they, they literally split it, where like the Maitlands are living upstairs, the Deetses are living downstairs, it, it's right. like, that sort of situation. So they do learn to coexist. And there is, you know, in, in all of its weirdness, there is this message of learning to coexist with people who have very different sort of lifestyles to you.
0: Absolutely.
1: Of course, that was back we were just talking about aesthetics versus coexisting with people who are just really awful, awful right. people. <laughs> Don't exist with them.
0: Right. Oh man. And it's it's so funny thinking about this movie because it didn't even occur to me. Because of course, Catherine O'Hara just did Shits Creek. And so are you on TikTok? Have you joined the TikTok movement?
1: I'm trying to get into it. I'm really trying to not feel old and actually understand TikTok further,
0: yeah. i so I joined because quarantine, what else are you going to do? And but one of the really popular sounds for a while was, If you don't let me gut out this house and make it my own, I'm going to go insane, and I will take you with me, yeah. I and, saw that.
1: And again, that's another thing that's just like the line is, of course, great. But the delivery yeah. is everything,
0: everything. And it for some, and I knew it was Catherine O'Hara because her voice is very distinct. But for some reason, I was like, "Oh, I guess that's from Schitt's Creek," because it had been a couple of years since I would seen the movie. And then I was watching it, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's from this! That's right, it's from <laughs> from you <Middle
1: Well>, <laughs> um, Her her character is uh, it's Myra, right? In Schitt's Creek, yes. It's I think totally, so. totally the spiritual successor to Deal <laughs> <the aliens>. with <laughs> Right. Like one hundred percent is like like the the next evolution of that character.
0: Absolutely.
1: You know, with her with her weird artistic sense and whatever mm-hmm. accent Catherine O'Hara invented for that character to have, which is from absolutely nowhere. Um. So you know, it's it's beautiful what some of these amazing performers are able to do with their characters because that's good. You know the 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 thing the the fun thing about acting really is that you know the character is really only 70% on the page, and then the rest of it is whatever ingredient you're personally bringing into it, which is, you know, the difference between somebody who is equally as good, an actor or actress, taking on the role, you know, what would make that difference? And it's really fun when that ingredient really shines. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's, it's the same with Winona Ryder. You know, Winona has this energy to her that she carried on to different types of characters. You know, she has this, the the same sort of unique aura to her in Edward Scissorhands as well that she did a few years earlier, but there is this, um, innocent outsider, you know, Mm -hmm. innocent, interesting outsider to her, you know, the, uh, uh, sort of energy to her that she pulls off so
0: well. Absolutely. And she just has that, like, I'm, I wanna say like cool look about her, but I don't think that's quite what I mean. Like there's just something about her presence that you're like, ooh, what well, is she? Well, certainly do how that? she
1: carries it. You know, it, it's how she yeah. carries everything. Even when, from from the moment she she's first seen, um, she's just enveloped in black. She's just mm-hmm. enveloped in this black costume with the big hat and the veil and everything. And there's kind of a way that she wears it where she's kind of become darkness.
0: Yeah. She, she's
1: literally, she's literally like this walking darkness. Um, and and even like the iconic, practically quinceanera dress that they put her in for the wedding. Like this is over the top <laughs> red dress that they stick her in. Um, yeah. There's there's a way that she wears it that that would let, dress it like very different than anybody else. You know, because it, oh, it's, it's a red party dress, but Her energy sells it, you know, when you when you put somebody who's like this young goth teen idol in something like that, it changes the energy of the costume.
0: Absolutely. Well, and you think about it because like I think it was um, Alyssa Milano was also up for the role. And again, it would be such a different film because Alyssa Milano's energy is so much different than Winona Ryder's. And I, yeah,
1: I, completely. And I and she was kind of an unknown it. at that point. It was um, yeah. she had done was Heather's before or after Beetlejuice? It feels like it was after because she feels younger in Beetlejuice.
0: I think it was after Beetlejuice. I want to yeah. say it was eighty nine because because the 90? same because the
1: same actor who played Otho was also in that. So it's right. like, it kind of felt like they were they were getting cast alongside from somebody who really liked Beetlejuice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But she has the same sort of thing there. You know, it's just there, mm-hmm. there, there is there is a uh, specific energy to her that I don't think any other actress would have been able to fill that role.
0: True. Well, and also I love <laughs> and I noticed it this time. She comes in the house and she like looks around. She takes one look at a big old spider web and she's like, I could live here. And like
1: that's it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. And it and it's interesting because like the blend of her is kind of coming off of like one kind of iconic goth style into mm-hmm. another one um so you know we're we're coming right off of the 80s we're coming right mm-hmm. off of off of like you know the sort of death rock white makeup big black hair pallor into sort of an entirely new thing for like a 90s aesthetic you know it it, it yeah. it's one that one that very much got carried over into like a lot of riot girl music at the time and this you know the sort of alternative you know, female rock singers were sort of adopting this new look, um, yeah. which is why you know it, it's it was just that period. It was just the eighties ending and going into um, the alternative rock grunge sort of era that that mm-hmm. goth evolved into. Yes,
0: yes, alternative history. <laughs>
1: it is, yeah. I mean, it's it is this sort of all you know. It is an interesting evolution that you can kind of see as they went through there. You know the. Yeah, the 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 goth kids looked very different before Winona Ryder sort of showed up in Beetlejuice. That that aesthetic kind of started changing things, and it kind of continued along that route.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, And she's—I mean, granted, you can just go on and on about the writing in this film because it's like it's just kind of peppered with these really amazing one-liners just throughout. Like, of course. You have the iconic "I myself am strange and unusual." <laughs> oh course. yeah, of
1: course, yeah. <laughs> Which I have. Um, I uh, one of my my many masks. Uh, ah. Joanne's Joanne's Fabrics released like a bunch of Halloween stuff, like they usually do, and they mm-hmm. released a Lydia pattern that is like the silhouette of Lydia with like green writing saying "I myself am strange and unusual." Ah,
0: so I, I, I had to have, I, have. I had
1: to have it. I had to have it.
0: I understand. I I literally have on my desk. It's her in silhouette, but it's like purple and blue, and it says, "I myself am strange and unusual." It's on a wine glass on my desk oh, I right love now. It.
1: Yeah, I have. I have <laughs> the handbook for the recently deceased on my desk. Um, you know, it's it, again. I, I love that they're still making merchandise. You know, that's it's yeah. it's 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 still marketable to this day without feeling retro or sort yeah. of campy vintage.
0: It's interesting because it is kind of a campy movie, but it's also become iconic, like a cult classic, but it's also kind of become a little bit timeless because of the, I don't know if it's the following or just how much everybody enjoys it, but it's, even if like watching it now, you know, 2021 vision, it still holds up, I feel like, you know?
1: Well, I think one of the one of the important things about it holding up is that it doesn't take itself serious like overly serious. I, I think yeah. it kind of you know obviously camp, especially you know pre that in like seventies and eighties was was very much defined in certain ways. But uh, this was like dark camp, like it's mm-hmm. almost like you know like Tim Burton at this time was starting to develop this really unique brand of dark camp, which was you know, instead of just adding comedy into a very serious tone of horror, it's just like, what if we added, like, like really mixed it in and really blended um, horror aesthetic with silliness and zaniness. And, you know, was, were, were, we're able to like have this tongue-in-cheek way of talking about dark subjects. And that definitely carried on to like, you know, the rest of his films going forward was this um, very silly way of talking about death yeah, and, and that's what Beetlejuice did so well is that it's, you know, the, the on paper, it feels like very dark subject material, but it's very mm-hmm. much a comedy, you yeah. know, where we're talking about death, we're talking about the afterlife, we're talking about suicide, we're talking about depression, we're talking about all these things, but it's done in a humorous way without being disrespectful.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, you're right, If like looking at it, because I think a lot of people who hear the name Tim Burton, they immediately go Nightmare Before Christmas, which, of course, he was involved in. But yeah, like, but,
1: but but also, you know, for, for those who have seen his other work, it's it's totally a Henry Selick film.
0: Right. <laughs> but, like, I think people immediately go to that, and it's like, this was first. Like, this was before Nightmare Before Christmas. And even looking at his work after that, it's it's in that same tone of, like, darkness while laughing, almost.
1: <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was an establishing factor that, that carried on. I mean, all the way from, you know, Edward Scissorhands had similar elements of, of that, you know, Nightmare mm-hmm. Dead. Ed Wood was obviously a love, you know, kind of a love story mm-hmm. to the campiness of horror. Um, and that has a rich history. You know, I, 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 one of my other favorite films is The Bride of Frankenstein. And Bride of Frankenstein's hilarious. People miss out on the fact that uh, James Whale, the director, was so into camp. He was, you know, he was, at the time, he was a uh, privately open gay man who was really into campy humor. So between that and The Invisible Man, which he also directed, Mm -hmm. um, he started blending those really heavily in cinema where you have these moments of, Sudden comedy in a very horror esque environment.
0: Yeah, oh, I love that movie <laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah,
1: and and you also have characters in that where they were kind of protos to the sort of actors who do this genre well. Like you know the doctor, who, uh, the actor who played Doctor Pretorius for an, I think uh, Ernest Thessinger, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. so good at side like, like these single lines, like these you know these little lines in an otherwise serious character that added that, you know, spooky, campy quality to it. And obviously Vincent Price was the master of that too. Oh, of course. So, you know, there's there's, there's no surprise that where Tim Burton drew his inspiration from, you know, especially uh, Vincent being his first short stop motion film and right. having him in Edward Scissorhands, <laughs> the influence that he got to create something like Beetlejuice was very much wrapped in these... Horror comedy films from that time—the ones that Vincent Price and Peter Lorre and uh, Basil Rathbone and all of them would like appear in—when they really started doing like comedy horror at that time. Yeah, but um, it, it didn't necessarily have a. It had a lot of slapstick. It was it was kind of like you know let's take Three Stooges humor and put it in a, in a horror environment, but it didn't really have an aesthetic yet. And I mm. think that's what Tim Burton really managed to do well. He didn't invent, you know, the idea of horror comedy because that, that had been around so early. But I really think he pioneered the aesthetic for it. I, I don't really see a lot of evidence of, of, you know, people doing a lot of that beforehand.
0: Yeah, I mean, so you're totally right. I think there's this, like, it's very easy to see where he's pulling from, but he's kind of put it down to a science a little bit. So like when you hear Tim Burton, you already know what you're going to get because he's made his kind of aesthetic, his his visual way of thinking very apparent to us as an audience. So it's almost like we already have a sneak peek in our mind before we even know what the movie is really about.
1: <laughs> oh, totally. And, and, and unfortunately, I think like, the, the unfortunate thing is, I think he's gotten to the point today where instead of making Tim Burton films, he's making Tim Burton films. Where he's a little Mm. bit, he's a little too aware of what the style is and what's marketable. Mm -hmm. um, Where instead of him creating something that just will take off with that audience, I feel like he has producers who are just like, no, make it more Tim Burton. Right. You know, make it, make it more like this instead of just kind of letting him do his thing. I feel like now at the time, the money people had no idea what to do with him. So, so they were kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they were just sweating and like, how are we ever going to market this? How are we (laughs) going to create merchandise and sell action figures for this? Which I totally had. I had a Beetlejuice action figure. It was awesome. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It was, I think it was specifically the one where he turns, uh, his head turns into the carousel. So I remember that I remember it had the little wheel on the back that you could turn to like make it spin around (laughs) and stuff. Um, but but now I, I I feel like, you know, they realize there's a lot of money to be milked from the goth community. Oh there's a my lot God. of money to be milked from spooky kids. So Absolutely. they're they're looking instead of just kind of letting him do his thing, it, it definitely feels a little bit more like there's a committee trying to recreate this and trying to catch lightning in a bottle a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, and I mean, it's so interesting because, like, one of the things I read was that this film had a budget of one million, which sounds like a lot if you don't know like the industry. That's yeah,
1: that's like nothing, right? Nothing for this.
0: Yeah, because you think about a Marvel movie, that's like what four hundred billion (laughs) dollars.
1: Yeah, some some you know more more than the GDP of most second world nations.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So you have this movie. Which one is amazing to watch because you have stop motion, you have prosthetics, you have practical effects, like all of these like kind of nitty gritty early Hollywood um, ways of going about things on a very small budget for movies. But it's just done so elegantly and and wonderfully that you, you get totally immersed like very quickly.
1: It took so much creativity to pull all of that off because it's definitely a film in which almost everything had to be made. Yeah. You know, it's it's one thing to shoot like kind of a slice of life film where it's like, it all takes place in a house. We have, you know, a house you rent. It's easy to pick up props and set dressing for it. But Mm -hmm. everything in this film had to be created. Yeah. Um, Everything had to be built special for this. It wasn't the sort of thing where you can necessarily go to a prop house with and just start marking things that were available um right the 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 costuming which i believe was it vivian westwood who was actually doing the costuming for it feels it feels like it was Ooh,
0: it might have um, been
1: uh but you know the 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 costuming was obviously extremely unique to these characters um the makeup which was uh you know head, headed by v neil I mean, mm-hmm. that took a lot of work just for V to create these iconic licks. Um, it's, it's amazing that they managed to pull it like that. But, you know, when you get that creative, you, you find a lot of ways to uh, make stuff for nothing. I, yeah. I, I, I feel like a lot of us during this whole quarantine period have definitely learned how to stretch <laughs> our creative muscles to their breaking point off of like, you know, we work with what we have. So mm-hmm. to, to not go insane. So um I, I feel like he definitely had a lot of ideas and how to get this stuff done in, you know, the least expensive way. And that's why I was, you know, remarking of like, you know, the, the looking out the window in Juno's office and seeing stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, that to create that weird visual, that's like a three dollar plastic skeleton that they painted orange. Right. With <laughs> a with a black with a black light.
0: But then you also have scenes where like gina davis is like look in the mirror and he's like what and she's like you can't see us and there's that horse that she's like doing in the mirror that's it's not like post-production it's like they figured out how to do that on set
1: <laughs> it's it's the what yeah the wonderful world of practical effects which uh. obviously you know my my whole career has been very and you know it's, it's it's been very involved with practical effects and my deep love and appreciation for practical effects and that's why you know, I, I miss the fact that it's going to be so rare for me to walk on a set like that again, because normally it would just be all CG. It'd just yeah. be like, it'll be a green screen and they'll like fill in the blanks later. Um, so, you know, the, the beauty of being able to perform with something that you can actually see in front of you, that's actually tangible, actually having it in the camera and knowing that you know the raws will have to be played with like anything else, but you have your shots. Mm-hmm. You know it's it's not just one element that you have to wait on. Um, yeah, the stop motion bits are so beautifully done, and oh my God. E- even for the time, even with you know watching it, like yeah, the the comping is a bit clunky compared to what we have now. <laughs> but but there's a charm to it. There's such a charm to watching the clay sandworm. Go through the ceiling and like eat Beetlejuice with a human actor riding on top of them and everything, you
0: know. Absolutely, (laughs) and I mean it's true. We can look back now, you know, twenty twenty one again. We can look back and be like, "Mm, this could be cleaner. But again, there's a charm to it. There's a.
1: I I think you lose something with it being too clean. You know, you 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 lose like there there's a tangibility aspect that I think is really important. You know, um, it's like the difference between say. They came out around the same time, like stop motion wise, Coraline and the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm,
0: mm-hmm. Both of them,
1: beautiful, wonderful films, but they had different qualities to them. A lot of people thought Coraline was CG because they made it so clean. They cleaned yeah. up lines, they cleaned up track marks. Whereas Fantastic Mr. Fox, you saw the fur on the characters shudder as they were being animated. You know when That's right. When you know the car has exhaust coming out the back of it, you know that that's cotton. You can tell that that's like dyed gray cotton on a wire that comes out of it and right there's there's a there, there is a quality of that that never gets old and it never it never ages like when mm. it's a handmade quality like that versus you know c g that we would see from twenty five years ago it looks terrible now and pretty much ruins a film right um, you know the 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 effect that That stop-motion animation from Beetlejuice had then, in 2021, resonates the same way. Absolutely. It's completely timeless for what it is.
0: Absolutely. Well, and it's so... I'm such a sucker for practical effects and stop-motion and, like, all of that. And I think... It it makes me sad that like more modern Hollywood is like, oh, we'll just, you know, we'll just CGI it. We'll just post it. And it, it just makes me sad because like I, so I have a friend who does um, practical effects makeup and he was like, there's just something about being able to see it. Like you look at it on screen and you're like, I know that's a real thing that somebody made. And like whether it looks cheesy or not is not the point. I know that it's there whereas when you see something cgi your brain goes okay this was generated after the fact you know what i mean
1: it, it's it, there's a whole other magic to it mm-hmm. um when i started learning about effects uh going to disneyland the first time was a completely different thing because i've written the haunted mansion a million times and i've already been tricked by it you know i've already i've already taken in like the 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 you know the illusions of it so many times that I know them, but going through it again and now knowing how they created it, Mm -hmm. how they do a Pepper's ghost effect in real time, what these animatronics look like underneath the shell and how they're making them work all day, every day. Mm
0: -hmm. There is
1: an extra magic to that too. And I I think that's the same with uh, watching the things in Beetlejuice and seeing, you know, the furniture come to life when when Delia's furniture becomes possessed and yeah. starts crawling around, or um, seeing the miniature work and seeing like the stop motion fly that Beetlejuice wrestles down. <laughs> like all these all these little moments. Um, become even more special when you realize the handmade quality that went into it. that Somebody was working with these small miniatures to create them and individually pushing them one frame at a time, which I used to do. I I worked in stop motion. I've been an animator before. So I know how long that takes. I know how much effort that takes. Yeah. So it's a whole other level of appreciation on top of the end results.
0: 100%. Because I mean, even in the you know, Deo scene at the dinner table, you have the shrimp who come up and like grab their faces and like looking at it now as an adult, I'm like, it, it looks like a hand because it's probably a glove with shrimp on it. Grabbing.
1: It it totally (laughs) is. But I love that. I love that. You know, it's, it's such a great moment when you watch it again and realize that there's a bunch of people with their hands and gloves and bowls underneath that are grabbing the actor's faces and tossing (laughs) them back. You know, it's, uh, it's it's beautiful. It's so beautiful to to be able to appreciate that stuff in in that way.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: you know, I, I I'll never forget the visuals of the Maitlands pulling their faces oh. to you know when when they when they do the whole thing when mm-hmm. it goes to you know when when Barbara when when it goes to Gina Davis like flicking her eyes away.
0: Uh huh.
1: And and doing that, it's it's such an amazing moment.
0: Absolutely. It also makes
1: it also makes absolutely zero sense because all of a sudden he has eyeballs on all of his fingers and everything and like you know it, it but but just to get to that point but that scene where it switches from her live action face to the clay Gina Davis face as she's doing these effects it's mm-hmm. so cool
0: absolutely well and you have and both of them too because you have Alec Baldwin who I'll just say this Alec Baldwin doesn't even I, I can't I can't recognize him as alec baldwin in this film i, I, I refer to realize. a specific
1: way of aging in which you don't necessarily look older you look like you were taken in photoshop and just widened
0: yeah it's
1: not that he got fat it's that he got wide it's just it, it's so odd to see like it's like his bone structure changed yeah um because a lot of people like forget that that's alec baldwin
0: hundred percent. And I do almost every single time forget that it's Alec Baldwin. It's, it's even... funny seeing,
1: yeah, seeing his Trump now yeah. and, you know, seeing like the sort of characters he does on 30 Rock and trying to remember that that was Adam Maitland. It's it's yeah. really hard to wrap your head around.
0: Because like it's even the acting too. Like he doesn't, he doesn't act. It's very timid for Alec Baldwin. I think, I think Alec Baldwin's characters now that he's a little older is more confident and a little bit more taking charge kind of guy. Whereas Adam is very much like a well. What do you want to do, dear? I think we should do this. This might be he's the a pushover.
1: That's Absolutely. that's a that's a big thing. That's why that's his arc of it is that when the Maitlands show up and everything, you know, he's trying to take charge, but he's he's definitely less bold and outgoing than the Dietzes are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's why his his ending where he's the one who like when. You know, he gets sent to the 3D model and then he goes into the sand world, you know, the sandworm world mm-hmm. and brings one of the sandworms back to eat Beetlejuice, you know, triumphantly riding on the back of the worm. Um, <laughs> you know, that's that's his sort of power play. That's him coming back and uh, having this big moment. But yeah, it is a very different character than we've seen him in before.
0: Yeah. And like, probably we'll never see Out of Alec Baldwin Probably probably not,
1: you know? I mean, even they they couldn't, I couldn't imagine them doing a second Beetlejuice movie and involving the Maitlands. I think Gina Davis could absolutely drop back into the role of Barbara. I could totally see her dropping back into the role of Barbara. But um, it'd be hard for me to imagine like, 2021 Gina Davis acting opposite 2021 Alec Baldwin.
0: Right. <laughs> well, then let me ask you because there, you know, there's been rumors now for years of Beetlejuice 2 and like I think Tim Burton confirmed that they're doing something or like something had been done, but you can't really find any information on the internet about it. So I
1: don't know. I mean, the thing is is that I've I've heard these rumors my whole life. Right. Like, since I was a teenager, there was rumors that they're going to do another Beetlejuice. Um, it, it's kind of hard to imagine where they would go with that. Like, apparently at one time there was a script for Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian that was yeah. like a tiki-themed <laughs> sort of thing and involved a, like, a surf competition, which sounds awful. But <laughs> um, But, you know, who knows? Who knows at this point? But... I know that it would it would have to be Michael Keaton, and it would okay. have to be Winona Ryder at the very least. Yeah. You know, I, I think they could probably, like, they could get away with the Maitlands not being included just due to, like, them moving on. You know, they're on the wait list to, like, move on. That was the whole thing, is that, you know, they'll eventually move to the afterlife. Right. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it, it, they can't... Uh, they can, of course, get Catherine O'Hara again. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty sure Jeffrey Jones is a pedophile who isn't allowed to work anymore. So I don't think Ooh. he's ever going to be in another thing again. Um, feel free to cut that out if I'm wrong about that. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll do some research afterwards. We'll do some,
1: we'll do some research on that. So, um, yeah, so, so it would have to be Winona Ryder again. And I don't know if you saw the commercial that came out the other day from the Super Bowl. Oh, the
0: one with Edward Scissorhands.
1: Yeah, the one where she plays um, the the adult version of Kim from Edward Scissorhands, and has like Timothy, uh, you know Timothy
0: Chalamet. What's what's his name? Chalamet. Yeah.
1: Um. Thank you for helping me not butcher that last name. Um. (laughs) So it was it was kind of fun to see her like become this suburban mom from Edward Scissorhands because it's like of course she'd become that, you know? Right. But it would be fun to see, uh. What would happen? What would become of Lydia at mm. this point? Because I, I so love watching Winona Rider and things nowadays. You know, she's so good in Stranger Things. Playing. Oh my
0: gosh.
1: You know, it's, it's fun to watch um, performers you like kind of throughout the decades. It's like, okay, they're too old to play this sort of role anymore, but now they're the right age to play this sort of role. Right. So it is going to be, it would be fun to see like, what this child who literally was raised by ghosts yeah, for until her adulthood and has this aesthetic, like, you know, her biological parents are both total weirdos and she was raised by the Maitlands. Like, what would she end up as, as an adult?
0: So if Beetlejuice 2 were a thing and Michael Keaton and Winona Ryder were like, yeah, sign me up, we're in, would you go see it?
1: I would trust if they signed on, I would see it because I would, because I don't think they would do it unless it was going to be good. Mm
0: -hmm. That's,
1: that's like the only thing for me is that the people that would have to return to it. Aren't people desperate for a paycheck? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if, if Tim Burton was doing it, if Winona Ryder was involved, if Michael Keaton was involved, they can all still do their thing. And I, and and I really think that if the three of them are still involved and Kat, you know, Catherine O'Hara, please come back cuz <laughs> I'll I'll never I'll I'll never skip on something that like Catherine O'Hara gets to play a character like that. Right. In. Um but you know, I would trust it. I would trust it just because they don't have to do it. They're not they're, they're they're not like these these, you know, actors and directors who haven't had something since then and they're like we're bringing it back, you know, we're trying to get yeah. our like second win. You know, they can do anything if they're choosing to do this. I have to believe there's going to be some good in it.
0: Agreed. Yeah, agreed. I think if it's just one of those like iconic films that like if you're going to do it again, you have to do it right. You know.
1: Yeah, completely. And I think that's why they've said in interviews too. Like, I because I've seen it. It's like it's alive. It's dead. It's alive. It's dead. It's you know. It's (laughs) like I'm I'm in. I'm only in if they're in. Well, I'm only in if they're in. And you know, it, it it's gone on like that for a while now. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know where it could possibly be at this point, like (laughs) at this point in time where, 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 you know, where it is in the pipeline, but, you know, I, I would love to see more of those performers doing those sort of characters.
0: Yeah. And maybe, I mean, it doesn't even need to be necessarily Beetlejuice. I think we would just enjoy seeing them doing. Dark humor, spooky movies in general.
1: <laughs> oh, completely. Um, you know, I, I again, I love. I you know, Winona Ryder's hilarious in Stranger Things for different reasons. She still gives a very over the top performance, and that as as the mother in Stranger Things. Yeah. Um, so she's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Michael Keaton, you know, he's still got great comedic chops, and I, I think there's there's rumor that he's going to be doing Batman again in oh. flash in some way like there are them confirm what it is i'm hoping it's batman uh batman beyond or something which would be amazing hmm. but there are talks that he's gonna play batman again so you know it's not out of the question that he would come back for a role like this he definitely still has the chops he can, definitely can still do this stuff um i don't remember the last time i've seen him in something comedic though
0: <laughs> it's true yeah i mean and it's it's funny because like I always forget that Alec Baldwin is in this and I always forget that it's Michael Keaton playing Beetlejuice because I, it, again, it's like I don't recognize him because he does a lot more like dramatic or serious roles or
1: even oh, like actually, you know, even then, you know, it's, it's it's hard for people who will watch him in that and then watch him in Batman to know it's the same person. Yeah. Just because, yeah, I mean, that makeup is so good. You know, the oh Beetlejuice makeup, again, it's another iconic look.
0: Absolutely. Well, let me also ask you this because when I was watching it, one of the things I thought was like, he might have been able to get away with this if he hadn't done like all of these extra bits. Like, <laughs> like the, the, uh, the, I'm not minister, but like the person who's marrying him and Lydia. He's like, does anyone object, you know, for a, you know, object to this wedding? He goes, oh, I don't know. Like, maybe I should think this through again. No, we're going to do it. It's like, he wasted so much time.
1: <laughs> he, he knew, he definitely knows how to milk a scene.
0: 100%. Like, there's no doubt
1: about that. He so knows how to milk a scene for material. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which which every one of those was. It's just, you know, even when he's when he's uh, explaining his, like, work history of, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: have a Harvard business
1: degree. <laughs> <laughs> survived through the Black Plague and had a really good time during I love that! All right, let's get down to the You're right, I got a card around here somewhere. Here, here, who do I have to kill? Here, hold that for me, would you? There. Whoa! There you go. You You don't have to kill anybody. Ah, possession. Good. Learn to throw your voice, fool your friends, fun and party. (gasps) No, we just want to get some people out of our house. Ah, I understand. I understand. Well, look, in order to do that, I'm really gonna have to get to know you guys. You know, we gotta get closer, move in with you for a while, get to be real pals. You know what I'm saying? You know, see that guy uh, for later. Huh? My wife and I would like to ask you a couple of questions. Sure, sure, sure. sure, sure. Go ahead. Sure. Well, for instance, uh, what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think?
0: You think I'm qualified? What I mean is, can you be scary?
1: Oh, oh! I know you are asking me, can I be scary? What do you think of this? <laughs> you like it? Excuse us please. <laughs> <laughs> see, the Exorcist 137 times and it keeps getting funnier every time I see it.
0: So, Not to good. mention
1: that you talking to a dead guy.
0: <laughs> so good.
1: I lo- I lo- I love it. I love it so much. Uh,
0: but like it's just one of those things where like I was watching it and like of course logically I'm like, well if you hadn't have done this, you might have gotten away with it, but the one who just wants to enjoy the movie is like, ah, just let him keep going for another couple of
1: minutes. Oh yeah. And, and you know, it's funny, you know, I, I, I took a lot of, I took a lot obviously from, from Lydia's character, but I ended up, you know, I, I, my career is, that I'm a ghost for hire. You know, I, I am literally like a monster for hire that is hired to scare people. So, right. you know, I, 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 feel a kinship with Beetlejuice in a way that when I go in for these meetings, I literally ask questions like, can you be scary? You know, (laughs) like these are questions I get for jobs. I've I've had those interviews. I've had a Adam Maitland sort of character sit across from the desk from me and ask about my monster credentials and if I can be scary. (laughs) Like these are things that I have talked about and I have talked about my educational experience. And I have talked about how many people I've murdered in my career. These right. are these are all perfectly reasonable things that somebody talks about in a job interview.
0: <laughs> well, can you be scary? Oh, well, let me just, oh, I, don't know about that. I don't know about that. Can I be scary? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: good. You know, keep, keep it, keep it on my list of like, it's just like, well, you know, I, I, I have about 12 decapitations under my belt. Uh, 17 Stranglings, um, an evisceration that I'm very proud of. Uh, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm known for the work of once carrying a man's spine out through his crotch on film, which, which was a very shining moment for me. Um,
0: You've done it all, it sounds like. I've that. done it all.
1: I've had very real moments, you know? I'm, I'm very proud of my, my various eviscerations. <laughs> I have a highlight reel. It's beautiful. I love that. Kids, kids love it.
0: <laughs> well, is there anything else we can say about this movie that we haven't like touched on other than saying it's amazing and we love it and you know, goth goals
1: <laughs> I mean it, it again, major major goth goals um 100%. i'm just i'm I'm thrilled that. The movie is as cool today with Gen Z as it is with <laughs> my millennial ass. So Absolutely. I'm I'm glad that I can love this film and not feel like old. Mm. <laughs>
0: I understand. I know. I know. Yeah, I'm
1: so paranoid about you know feeling old as we talk about this film about moving the hell on.
0: Uh, I know. Well, now, now Gen Z is going after like side parts and skinny jeans, and it's like, well, I like Beetlejuice, so like, oh, oh okay.
1: Going. So you re- you read the same Buzzfeed article I did oh. today, where I literally started feeling my <laughs> flesh rot as I went down this list.
0: Yes, yes, I did.
1: <laughs> I'm like realizing it's like, oh, I guess I can't use that emoji anymore because Gen Z is going to judge me for it.
0: <sighs> exactly. We made it,
1: we made the new kids to. Fucking cool and smart. It was a total mistake.
0: I know. We we really screwed
1: ourselves. We We screwed ourselves.
0: We they needed some encouragement. We did that. And now they're coming after us.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They got too much encouragement. We opened up too many doors and now they've changed the locks.
0: (laughs) It's so true.
1: (laughs) So yes, I am I am so grateful that (laughs) <laughs> the goth idols I had as a child that I wanted to grow up to be like, like Lydia and and like Wednesday Adams and you know mm. the all of them. Like they're still cool. Young goths still want to be like them, and that yes. is a major relief.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> it's like woo! <laughs> Thank goodness I don't, about, I
1: don't have to worry about that. I've you know I don't have to be like you know talking talking with my grandparents and being like. <laughs> You know who was really cool in my day was Paul right. Newman.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, thank you. <laughs>
1: pretty sure.
0: Oh, pretty man. sure Winona
1: Ryder is never going to not be cool.
0: I I surely hope not. <laughs> I surely hope that she is always cool.
1: <laughs> she's going to be an awesome old actress. I can already I can already ah. tell that like she she's at the middle age right now playing those sort of characters, but mm-hmm. I know she's going to be a really cool old woman oh, like that's that's wait. you know the her the rest of her career is going to just be her dropping into these different Winona Ryder type roles
0: yes I'm so excited <laughs> 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 well so I think we're kind of wrapping up but is there anything that we can be on the lookout project-wise for you or um yeah i think i
1: think you know the the one thing i've been able to do because voice records are still a thing that i can actually do without threatening the lives of anybody with my breath (laughs) um uh, my first episode of hell of a boss the animated series on youtube just came out so i have a small small additional voices on there but much more coming along so
0: amazing uh
1: if you're a fan of of hell of a boss be sure to look out for me in that. Um, and other than that, watch Earth to Net on Disney Plus, uh, make a big noise about that so that when this whole thing is over, I can go back to my alien spaceship.
0: Yes. <laughs> Love that. Well, I mean, thank you for coming on the show and thank you for picking this iconic movie. I'm so glad I got to talk about it.
1: Of course. I'm so, I'm, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. It's, it's always, it's always fun to be able to talk about something that the host clearly also enjoys. Yes.
0: I oh my gosh, I'm that transparent, am I?
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it could, could, could have it could have been much worse. I could have come on and been like, I really want to talk about uh Alvin and the chipmunks, the squeak wall. <laughs> because I feel like it answered all the questions that the first one failed at.
0: Of course. Of course. Next time, next time we bring that on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't threaten me with that. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs>
0: Well, so again, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a delight. And you're welcome anytime.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course. Another huge thank you to Morgana Ignis for coming on the show and talking about her favorite film, Beetlejuice. I can't tell you how much fun I had during this interview. I mean, not only did I get to talk about a film that I absolutely love, but I also get to learn a little bit about alternative culture, a little bit about prosthetics and that world and monsters and all of those amazing things with somebody who also just gets it. And so I cannot thank Morgana enough for coming on the show. Now, if you cannot wait to get more film content, and I mean, you just need film content right now. You have a couple options, as you may or may not know. Option one, you can follow us on Instagram at scopophilia_podcast. underscore podcast. Or two, option two, you can subscribe to our TikTok channel, which is Scopophilia the podcast. And since you're already on the internet, the interwebs, if you will, uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Uh, it helps us out a lot. We love to hear what you are saying. And don't forget to tell your friends, your family, your family of friends, your friends of family about the show because we just want to keep spreading the message around that we love talking about movies together and we all have different perspectives. As always, I'm your host, Becky Teller, leading the millennial movie movement here on Scopophilia. And I'll see you all next Friday. Bye!